Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, and every dollar you give helps keep the podcast going. When I was six years old, I was in grade one in Armstrong, British Columbia, and somebody came to our class and pulled me out of class and told me that I had a special job. I was going to give a check to somebody. I didn't know who this person was, or the significance of what they were doing, but I suddenly found myself a few days later standing on a stage, with hundreds of people around the stage, and a man in a wheelchair came up onto the stage, and I shook his hand, and I remember the feel of his glove, and I gave him a check. I didn't know at the time, but that man was named Rick Hansen. I don't know why I was giving him a check, I still don't really. But it is one of the fondest memories of my youth. I even have a picture of it. And I'll put that picture up on the website. A few years ago, when I was in High River working as an editor, I talked to Rick Hansen again. And today, I have another interview with Rick Hansen, where we talk about the Rick Hansen Foundation, the Man in Motion Tour, his donation of several artifacts to the Canadian Museum of History, and much more. So, I'm just going to get right to it. Let's talk to a Canadian icon, a Canadian hero, and arguably one of the most famous Canadians in history, Rick Hansen. First question is, how have you been doing during the COVID outbreak? You know, COVID kind of came out of the blue and it was an interesting progression for the consciousness of uh, not only ourselves, but the rest of our team. You know, you've sort of seen it uh, at, at a distance in the news uh, in China, and then all of a sudden it was in Europe, and, and before we knew it, you know, it was uh, starting to happen in Canada, and it progressed in our minds from, you know, being concerned for others to eventually, oh my gosh, uh, this is going to affect us, uh, and we have to start to make adjustments, and you know that continual transition in terms of the ambiguity of your set points uh, and perceptions and arming yourself with an ever-changing progression of facts and then being able to respond was uh, was super critical and and uh, boy it's been uh, it's been quite uh, quite a journey yeah it, it's obviously um, challenged us to look at and face our fears 
to uh, be our mythology and be responsible and uh, not just for our own health but the health of others and and then uh, to be able to still as we manage through that be um, optimistic uh, be driven by hope by uh, reframing uh, to the things that mattered most which is love and uh, to be able to find meaning and purpose and to take control of uh, the things within this world that seems to become more and more out of control. And those notes give you a sense of resiliency and, uh, and, and then just keep reframing to shorter time frames because mm-hmm. the situation is so dynamic and fluid. And so uh, from a family point of view, while it's been challenging, uh, it's also been um, you know, very meaningful because I think it's also helped remind us that uh, life is precious. Uh, it also makes us realize that every day counts, and and also as long as we're connected, um, committed to doing work the best we can, and uh, and also be compassionate and uh, and loving uh, within each other, uh, our family unit, and uh, within our community and the world, then uh, then we're doing our best to be able to help endure and weather this transition. Absolutely. Um, so how has the legacy of the Man in Motion Tour kind of grown or changed over the past 35 years? You know, when I finished my Man in Motion Tour and the driving force for doing it was we were in a world, in an era where people with disabilities were truly looked at as, in many ways, second-class citizens. Definitely in terms of the structure of uh, you know many of our laws and and, and our attitudes and and some of the systems and structures. And the perceptions uh, really needed to change in my mind. I would uh, had to battle perceptions personally because I was uh, a young Canadian who was brought up in a bias uh, when I thought of and looked at people with disabilities. And all I saw was disability, limitation, uh, and I felt pity. I didn't understand, you know, the opportunities, the potential, the ability, and and uh, and the importance of including people as equals. And, and then also understand all the barriers that were out there. And so when I had my accident at the age of 15, I was immersed into this world, had to make that transition. And then as I did, I started to accept myself as a whole human being with ability. I started to reframe, set goals and chase dreams and live a full and meaningful life, but still encountered that social and 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 you know and, and real physical barriers and structures and resistance. And as I became uh, a world champion and Paralympian and traveled the world, I realized that the barriers still existed, and I wanted to try to change that. And so, by the time I finished the Man of Motion tour. There was a lot of momentum uh, here in Canada, for sure. And and pockets around the world were starting to shift and evolve. And I think that in the 35 years since that period, we've really seen a, a fundamental transformation. And what we found is that there's been a shift from a sense of charity and pity and bias and stigma to uh, a sense of uh, equality, uh, a real belief that uh, people with disabilities have ability and that, that there's a, a commitment to remove barriers that don't have to be there to create an accessible and inclusive society. 
And that change also has been backed up by fundamental laws, legislation, uh, whether it's the Americans with Disabilities Act in the United States, whether it's uh, you know human rights legislation in China, or most recently even here in Canada, uh, our accessibility uh, you know uh, for for Canadians with Disabilities Act, and and so these are these are fundamental levels of progression. And I, I think we're about to really enter the next phase, which is that we're, we're going to see uh, people with disabilities as a tremendous positive force for helping strengthen and build our culture and society and uh, the ability to contribute and to be full and uh, meaningful citizens. And and that, that uh, diversity will strengthen us in, in, a, in a very significant way. And that's uh, the exciting and optimistic part of uh, the journey that we're still on in this ultra marathon of social change. Uh, looking back, we're 40 years since the Marathon of Hope, uh, 35 years since the Man in Motion Tour. What's it like to kind of look back on those legacies and see their role in, in Canadian history and heritage uh, a few decades later? Well, from a personal point of view, it's really quite stunning uh, to believe what's transpired since those early days when I was a young uh, Paralympian, uh, a wheelchair basketball player on the Vancouver Cable Cars team and looking for a way to pay it forward with the team and looking for new recruits. And through a friend, I was introduced to Terry Fox, who had just lost his leg to cancer and recruited him to participate and play on our wheelchair basketball team. We became great friends and we were inspired and mentored by the incredible nature of this unique team in a moment in time. Tremendous athletes, a real uh, passion for life and, and really people who had transformed themselves from being disabled uh, to being able and and it affected all of us. And probably the most important part for Terry and I is that we were profoundly affected by our team manager, Stan Strong, who was one of the first surviving paraplegics. And he he was injured in the 30s. And in spite of his profound disability, he actually refused to give up his view of himself and lose sight of the love and the meaning and purpose in life every day in spite of the challenges he faced. And, and he was also motivated to pay it forward and give back and so he was giving back to our team and inspiring us uh, to think about our ability and our mission to contribute as well and uh, from that unique little wheelchair basketball team inspired and uh, and helped uh, generated by someone like Stan Strong uh, Terry and I were motivated we became friends we challenged each other we inspired each other and eventually we pursued dreams that were relevant to us and our unique experiences carry to help the pain uh, and make it stop from uh, the suffering and the death and the, and, and the dramatic consequences of cancer and, uh, and me uh, to help shift the attitudes and the environment of uh, limitation for people with disabilities so that they could reach their full potential and maybe even find a cure for paralysis one day. And so that was uh, all incubated in that moment in time. And how would we have known in uh, in that era <laughs> what would have transpired as we uh, as we just struggled every day to live up to that challenge and uh, and express ourselves? 
Absolutely. Uh, what led you to decide to donate artifacts from the tour to the Museum of History? You know, the Canadian Museum of History approached me and, and asked if I would consider donating artifacts that uh, we had from the tour. And uh, At first, I, I didn't really uh, understand what the, what the purpose might be and why. We had actually just been holding all this stuff in, in, a, in a storage area, and they, they said that they really believe that that the tour and the incredible sense of power of community, all the people who worked to help me turn that dream into reality and to make a difference was fundamentally embedded in the Canadian spirit. And, and that also that the dream that I was pursuing was still unfolding here in Canada and around the world. And they wanted this artifact uh, uh, collection and the story and the narrative of the man in motion world tour to be uh, about not just history, but also about a continuing journey to educate new Canadians, the next generation, to continue to do their part because it was going to be a, a long, long journey to get to that end game. And that was the most inspiring part to me is that the, 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 the displays and the, and the work would be taken over by the people of Canada through the Museum of History, that it would be framed in the context of the we, not me, and that it would be directed forward in the purpose of the original vision and mission and the need for all of us to keep thinking about how we can get to that dream and turn it into a reality. Uh, so shifting gears a bit uh, to talk about the foundation, what led to the creation of the Rick Hansen Foundation? Well, when you're young and, you know, you, <laughs> you, you have a really uh, kind of Really, maybe an opti overly optimistic view of <laughs> of uh, what would take to get to a goal or a dream. I, I thought that my contribution, first of all, would be as a volunteer for the four years, you know, the the, the period to start up, the the, the two years of uh, of the endeavor, and a year to wind down, and that that we would have really uh, made huge progress. <laughs> but, I mean, as as wonderful as the tour was, then uh, it became pretty clear that that it was just a baby step in a very, very big, big hill to climb. And not just one dream, but two big dreams, a, a cure for paralysis in a world that was accessible for people with disabilities who wouldn't be cured, that could live a full life. And um, we were very fortunate that we built a tremendous amount of uh, partners and supporters and people who believed in us. We generated a $26 million fund uh, that was part of the fundraising uh, component of the tour. And we had to turn our, our direction towards the future, and and it was clear that that that, that we would need not only a, a foundation to to ensure the oversight of, and the use of those funds, but that we could build off the momentum and uh, the, the the incredible energy of goodwill and my own personal leadership, and eventually uh, see that transform into long past uh, my life, and that that you needed a formal, a formal vehicle for that. And, and so therefore the foundation was created. And, and now, as I look back at this now, 30 some odd years later, I'm no longer the founder and CEO of that foundation. I'm the founder of it. And I still play a very strong role in helping to elevate my time and attention to support the work of the foundation, but there's a board of directors, a CEO, and, a, and an incredible staff, and a bunch of volunteers and partners that keep working on solutions to accelerate progress nationally and globally 
and I'm super inspired by the work they do. And I also know that you know we uh, we're built for the for the future, and I'm, I'm going to continue to help pursue that journey and until the day I no longer can. <laughs> Um, you kind of meant, mentioned it, but what does the uh, the foundation do to provide for people who live with uh, some sort of disability? Yeah, the, the the things that we do, obviously, we continue to support leadership in developing a global network of collaborators in spinal cord research, uh, because one day a cure for paralysis will take place, and people with disabilities uh, also uh, have spinal cord injury and mm-hmm. and uh, and that's uh, that's a, an important thrust that we really believe in secondly is in the area of the 1.3 billion people who live with a disability today according to the world health organization and the world is growing exponentially because of aging baby boomers and their parents people who have mobility challenges sensory, uh, hearing, uh, visual, um, and, and, and other relevant uh, disabilities that we, we really believe that, that there's a tremendous requirement to keep changing attitudes, uh, to make people aware that disability is a big deal, that, uh, that it's uh, not the end of the world and that there are positive uh, enabling uh, potential-based uh, you know, things that people need to focus on. And that there are barriers, especially to accessibility, that need to be removed. And so the foundation has an awareness campaign approach to uh, help uh, encourage people to keep it top of mind and to think about what they can do for their attitudes and perhaps engage in their communities nationally or globally to make a difference, hopefully to join us. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, we believe because it's a long journey, uh, we want to really encourage youth across the country and around the world to be part of this. And so we have a school program that really uh, helps teachers teach youth about attitudes, perceptions, barriers, and potential and build a healthy and inclusive society by following and pursuing our school program. And lastly, the built environment is such a big deal. I mean, it's still hard to believe that in today's world, there are so many um, buildings that are being built without a real sense of how people with disabilities, the one in five Canadians and obviously their families and <laughs> colleagues and friends can can actually fully participate. And so we're trying to uh, reframe and elevate uh, a, a global standard that will become the curriculum base for learning for architects, engineers, city planners, and advocates and building owner and operators. And people will, will actually have been trained in how to go beyond the minimum uh, code requirements, which are just based on, uh, on on minimum standards, and and to actually make a building work for people, and we think that by doing that, and and continuing to keep it by dynamic, we'll have this global certification program, where our seal of approval will be on um, you know, every major building in the country, and in the world, and that will fundamentally transform and accelerate the vision of making the world accessible and inclusive for people with disabilities. So every building where people live, work, learn, and play will will be uh, open and, uh, and inclusive and, and will be certified objectively uh, to speak to employees and customers and, 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 you know, and people who are you know, wanting to be part of the community that they will know 
that 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 the thinking and the ex- exercise has been complete, and that there will still be some really cool new ideas that people will be thinking about as things evolve with time and mm-hmm. technology and expectations and and uh, ideas and innovations. Um, I imagine over the since the Man in Motion tour, you've had countless people come up to you and tell you how much the tour inspired them and how much uh, you inspired them. But is it more rewarding to have people come up to you and tell you the things that the foundation has done to help them or change their own lives? Well, there's there's just no question that for me, what gives me the most energy that helps me and encourages me to feel like I can continue. And giving a sense of satisfaction is is to know that someone will say, you know, in in Haida Gwaii, someone will come up to me and say, you know, Rick, there there is a there is an accessible trail, uh, you know, at Toe Hill, just out of Masset, in, in in the middle of nowhere that you've helped fund, so that someone can get access to one of the most beautiful places on earth, mm-hmm. or they'll talk about, you know, a playground or. Uh, or someone will, you know, say that you know, as a result of the work that you've done, and or most importantly, um, people who are connected to our foundation vision, that thanks to the treatment and support I've uh, received, I'm actually uh, walking again, and 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 so the, there's there's really a, a mosaic of profound practical examples where people have uh, have, have actually benefited, and and then then there's the other side, which is the Perhaps the you know the, the more subtle elements where you hear notes or letters uh, that of people who have said that they they were inspired um, and were encouraged or that they they were struggling and they, they thought of a new way to uh, to reframe and to try and to break through whatever their goals or dreams were whatever the barrier was that they were facing or perhaps they were thinking of, in their own way of how to contribute. And, uh, and our journey became uh, a bit of a metaphor uh, and a catalyst for precipitating something unique. And those are the things I could have never even imagined because when your head's down and you're pursuing a vision and a, and a mission, you look for the very practical things that reinforce that. But there's the secondary elements uh, just by being human and sharing your story where people are naturally synapsing and they're building bridges into their own world and you'll never know where and how the penny will drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can people help the foundation? Well, they can look us up at rickhanson.com and there's a lot of ways that they can contribute and we hope that people will, uh, you know, think about us and and uh, encourage us. But obviously people can donate uh, to help our foundation continue to do better work. They can also volunteer because we need a bigger network of people engaged. They can partner with us if they have an organization uh, that has uh, similar values and uh, and objectives, and then they can also work in engaging to perhaps uh, some people might when we have a, a an offering for uh, a new job position, someone might want to come and and come help us be part of the formal team, uh, join our board, and uh, and at the end of the day, probably the most important thing is, regardless of all that, they can think about the fact that disability. It's not always visible, uh, and, uh, and you know you see the stick man in a wheelchair, signs everywhere, and parking stalls, and and ramps and elevators. But disability affects in many ways all of us, and so we can think about disability as a big deal, and and we can interpret or look for ways 
that we can honor the ability of people and that we can actually see barriers and be inspired in our own families or our own communities. I mean, just think if you have a neighbor who has a disability, how can they ever come visit? Or um, what are the what are the practical things that you can see in your place of work or school or community? Like, is is your ballpark accessible for someone with a disability to come and be a coach mm-hmm. or your hockey rink? And 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 it's still stunning to think of how many ballparks and hockey rinks in Canada today are inaccessible <laughs> for someone to be able to coach let alone play. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's a, there's a tremendous <laughs> amount we can do, and it's, but it's consciousness and awareness. And that's the biggest part, and I hope at least people will take the moment to reflect on that and from time to time keep pausing and uh, making connections. Uh, how has COVID impacted the foundation? You know, it, it's had a profound impact on the foundation. Uh, obviously, there's been a, a tremendous focus from government, private sector, and communities on dealing with the emergent issues. Uh, we've made sure through our work that we've advocated to governments and key leaders that let's not leave people with disabilities out in in this emergency response because people with disabilities are the most affected segment of our population. Ironically, uh, and unfortunately, they were one of the last groups to be addressed in uh, in this process. And I think it gives us a bit of a wake-up call that there's still more to do to keep that top of mind and people understand how big and important it is. We've also been focusing a lot uh, in the transition from our workplace, uh, you know, to uh, remote. And so our team has been very resilient and supported by our wonderful CEO, Dormy Elling, and our board. And they've, uh, they've been encouraged to be able to work their magic from home or in remote locations out of health and, uh, and respect. And, and then the third is that we've, we've looked at a lot of our programs and, uh, and we've transformed uh, a number of our programs to continue to be uh, online and digital. And, and so, uh, for instance, our accessibility certification program, while it was taught in colleges and universities across the country in a, in a practical uh, classroom setting, during this COVID area, we've just launched a, an online global uh, program with Athabasca University, the number two global online learning uh, you know, uh, institution. And they've helped us deliver our training uh, online uh, anywhere around the world. And what a powerful accelerator that's been. And our school program itself also has been uh, very much driven to online. But even when classrooms were disrupted, our, our wonderful team adapted the uh, the lesson planning to target it. Uh, there were big little lessons that uh, were targeted to parents who were homeschooling or teachers who wanted to drop things off so it could be done uh, at home or in uh, more uh, isolated uh, environments and the journey to continue. And so I'm super proud of our team for being, uh, again, resilient and adaptive. Um, but it also has had a, had a challenge, you know, that we are just starting to look at, which is, you know, what will this do to, to the philanthropic market? And, uh, you know, how will Canadians be able to continue to respond to contributing to the not-for-profit world and, and still, uh, you know, deal with the very critical things that it, it means to them uh, for their own health, for their families, for their jobs, 
and and the economy at large. And so our foundation will continue to have to be in touch with that and responsive, uh, respectful, but maybe also innovative again to look for alternative ways to still help contribute to make things better and uh, find additional uh, sources of revenue. And so we're currently exploring that. And and again, uh, thanks to our wonderful board and, uh, and team, they're looking uh, you know, at, at some really cool ideas. And then uh, just my last question was, uh, what's coming up for the foundation in terms of events or any any big things uh, next year as things hopefully return to some for, uh, some form of normal? Well, we're we're in the process of, of our 35th anniversary, and anniversaries give us great milestones for celebration, past, present, and future. And so uh, part of our anniversary process now is obviously connected to the Canadian Museum of History. And I know the, uh, the museum is uh, you know, looking at uh, opening uh, uh, an exhibit, uh, and we're super excited about that uh, so that people can come uh, personally or be connected virtually uh, to, uh, to sort of be introduced to the tour, reminded of it, and, uh, and reconnect to that ongoing journey. We will conclude our... 35th anniversary uh, on uh, on May the 22nd, and uh, and that would be 2022. And so we have uh, you know milestone moments uh, between now and then that we'll be celebrating. And and at the end of the day, uh, most of our celebrations uh, and and engagements come from when, uh, as an example, when students uh, and teachers are presented with difference maker awards for the work that they've done, or we've certified buildings uh, across the country that have reached uh, a minimum or a gold level of accessibility. And so we have a whole host of buildings that will be certified as gold that we really want to profile and and highlight because it's through the innovation and the response of those owner and operators and the community that helps drive them that we think uh, it's important to acknowledge that hard work, but also share that knowledge uh, and that result to inspire others so we'll accelerate progress to become fully accessible and inclusive. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rick Hansen, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.ca. You can visit my website, where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.ca. And lastly, again, you can support the podcast. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.